how auspicious that our last gathering of this Gaia House series is on Vesak Day, which is, uh, for those who don't know, the the central Buddhist holiday. Uh, it's the ostensibly the t- the day, the full moon day in May, when the Buddha was born, when he awakened, and when he died. And um, so it's a time of uh, recommitment, purification of joy, celebration, acts of giving and kindness. Quite a nice, quite a nice thing. I'd like to touch several things today. And my real hope is that whatever it is we do in particular, that at the close of our time together, you feel some inspiration and some sense of possibility around actually living a whole life path. You know, not just having Dhamma talks about it or reading a book about it, but a real sense of practicality, livability. So, for example, in this very moment, just ask you a question. Uh, How's mindfulness? What are you aware of? aware of listening to my speaking and perhaps some sense of your response to it. Uh, Perhaps you're aware of the body as it sits here. Maybe you can sense the mind states, a kind of a curious, maybe a slight discomfort, where is he going, you know, kind of thing. Right, so there's mindfulness anytime. And it's really, in its lived everyday sense, it doesn't have to be a big deal. It's just this. It's just like, oh, you're not wrapped up in the fabrications of your mind. That's all. Because the rest, the awareness just is showing up and it's like, what's going on now? Here you are. So that path factor of right mindfulness, it's like, oh, Okay, it's not so distant. And as I've said before, I'd like to point out again, right now, I'm speaking, you're listening, and we're reflecting on Dhamma, right? We're reflecting on the nature of the human experience and our potential for being awake, right? So as we speak right now, we're living enacting the path factor of right view. This is a practice of right view right now. It's not fancy. It's just like this. The way you feel sitting on your butt, it's like this. This is practice. This is path. You see what I'm saying? That's the sensibility of the path that I'm talking about. Every time you cultivate in yourself the act of giving that's right effort not to mention a lot of other things like right intention through the kindness and care every time 
you observe some personality feature that you feel is unkind or harmful and you feel some remorse and you want to change that very simple psychological everyday stuff that's right effort that's sort of the diminishing of the unwholesome and you have a sense of direction right a sense of purpose a sense of ah relinquishment ah if i can you know as these as these patterns let go you feel the pattern of a wholesome type towards freedom towards kindness towards compassion that's right effort this is right effort as well as right view do you feel yourself giving energy to listen to me maybe unless you're really bored and checked out but if you're paying attention right now feel the energy really take a moment we'll pause check the energy in the body check the mental energy to pay attention to me it's that simple this is the practice this is the path it's not anything else what the eightfold path the eight factors of the path do they give us a framework to check that out and cultivate so when we do what i call a path scan like which we were just doing how's this path factor what's with this what's with you know just kind of check you know like in hmm how are things going right now what's the state right now it's you have a framework to do that i mean the idea of putting all of life into these eight things is kind of absurd right i mean life is complicated but that's where it's helpful because it's like where else do you start you know like whoa i'm there's a path around here somewhere this is it it's right here you you give yourself a few points on the map they're fabricated but they're useful and you make use of them is this making sense okay thank you i even got a thumb for that one um so how do you do that you know so one of the practices of right view as i've mentioned before is discussion so that's us right now this is that aspect of right view another that you're familiar with probably from a very buddhist kind of angle is vipassana meditation you know insight calm those are also practices of right view why because we come to see how things are when the mind calms down and the mind is bright we see how things are right view and with the right view the orientation of our life changes you know we see like all that trying to feed and grasp at it's not working wow we see it we see we see what we thought was pleasurable you know you go to a party everybody's crazy it's like oh that's pretty tense isn't it <laughs> you know like that's a, a shift or you just sit there and you observe the mind you say wow the mind is always uncomfortable wanting something and when it can't get 
you know, when there's not enough to like, um, you know, from the environment to occupy it, it invents stuff. And then we follow what we've invented. We fuse with it and we call it something innocuous like daydreaming. It's more like day nightmaring all the time. We're just like all the time we're in this nightmare of our own fabrication. Oh, what do I have to do next? Does so-and-so like me? Do I have enough money? What's It's all fabricating all the time. Actually dealing with the issues like you know, having to earn a living, fine, no problem. But what about the dukkha of it? The, 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 like, so the path is knowing that, seeing that. So here we are in this practice of right view through discussion, talking to each other spiritual friends on the path together practicing right view and you know another piece of right view another major component named as practiced by the buddha learning right we're getting we're, i'm trying to give you some like sense of how to do the the whole life path right so learning how do you learn? This is part of it. In our era, not so much in the Buddhist time, you read podcasts, talks. That's practicing right view. See that? Very straightforward. All I'm doing is giving something you already do a name. That's all I'm doing. You already do this stuff. But when you recognize that, then you say, okay, I could further cultivate this path factor in other ways, not just through more books or more learning, not just through more meditation, the things I think about. And you realize, wow, some of the stuff I'm reading is just really a waste of time. So maybe I'm even developing wrong view. You know, maybe I'm watching some kind of pathetic news media, you know, that's all worked up and frothy. And I'm believing everything I hear. What's that doing to your mind? Not that being, you know, current with things in the world is not useful. It's a practice of compassion at its best, right? Like hearing about the suffering of the world so that you can know how to act. But where is it wrong view? Cultivating hatred, bias. So I'm just giving it a path frame. But what about all those other times of your life when you're just sitting down and, you know, tucking into a slice of pizza and say, ah, well, all of a sudden we have a framing for this too, right livelihood. The movement of resources from your professional life or however you gain resources, the movement of those resources for that pizza and the consuming of it as part of um, how am I fitting into the movement of resources globally? Is this uh, wholesome? Not, you know, is pizza a healthy food? You could, you know, I'm not going to talk about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about just the my place in the food web 
my place in the ecological environment in the in the in the global web is part of the movement of resources so everything you do in relationship to consuming resources to gaining the ability to consume resources is connected with livelihood now if i kind of keep going like this and point out how all these different facets of our lives are path it's going to turn into a kind of a dhamma talk thing it's going to turn into an abstract too much information you know like a a harangue you know i'm kind of pushing at you to do something or something and that's not helpful but i i'm i'm trying to let, just lay enough of a foundation that everything that we do now and as we close today has this uh framework path framework so for uh to help us go deeper i want to provide just one more piece of insight dialogue guidance and will um practice in uh groups of 3 there might be some groups of 4 or 2 whatever it takes to you know make it work and we're just going to touch lightly into a guideline and then we'll practice more with it later but i want you to touch it by itself first and that is the guideline of listen deeply and the guideline of speak the truth so starting with listen deeply um i want to just take advantage of you know the fact that i'm doing all the talking to give you an opportunity to notice the quality of your listening so you've you're hearing these words and your brilliant minds instantly translate these sounds that are being made into words language and put them together so you're making sense of what i'm saying but listen also or notice how it's touching you the music of my voice the tone of my voice the pacing notice how you're listening with your eyes already i don't have to tell you to do that that you see my hands you see my face you see my movements and that those are also part of receiving what's offered so it's that listen deeply has that sense of receiving that comes with relax right remember relax accept allow so it's like that ah uh, letting it in letting the voice in and when you are with your spiritual friends in inside dialogue this quality when you remind yourself mentally listen deeply you're refining refreshing making more subtle that listening quality okay 
and speak the truth is the action aspect of inside dialogue. Actually, to find what would be spoken, the truth that we're talking about, the only way to know the truth in meditation is mindfulness because it's the subjective truth. We're not talking meditation. You're not going out into the world and saying, that's how things are over there. You're saying what's true here. So that experience, direct experience, whatever is being experienced, how do you know it in order to speak it? You have to pause the sati mindfulness pause. So, From a practical standpoint, you present the contemplation to the mind, pause, see what's emergent, see what's arising, attune to that emergence, listen internally. What would be spoken? Now, we all know our minds well enough to know that there's going to be a lot coming up with any Con, you know, any offering of a contemplation, if it has any content at all, you know, it, it could be a million different things you say. How do you know what's true? What do you speak? What do you let go? See what I'm saying? So this, this not only mindfulness and steadiness of mind, but discernment. Oh, what do I speak? It never means speak like just spill your guts. Speak the truth does not mean spill your guts means speak what is appropriate and true in this moment. And if something comes up and you don't want to share it because it feels too revealing or it doesn't feel relevant or somehow it just doesn't feel right, you let it go. No problem. And just continue with the awareness. What's true now? And do I speak this in light of this contemplation, right? Which is... You know, the wisdom aspect. So, pause is the mindfulness. What's going on? And then the actual connection to speaking it. You see, speaking, this is where I talk about, where I, why I said that speak the truth is the action aspect of insight dialogue. Because it's a physical act, speaking. It's an act that sometimes you can touch the roots in generosity. I don't want to talk, but I'm in practice. And so we say, well, maybe there's something in this flow that I will enter, despite the fact that I'm quite comfortable sitting in silence. Maybe I actually speak, and maybe I don't. There are times, as I've said before, that sometimes insight dialogue goes to silence with silence and awareness with awareness, and it's profound. And sometimes that speaking comes into the silence and doesn't break it, doesn't stop it. It has that quality because it's in the emergent flow of rising and vanishing phenomena. There's no particular attachment, except that it does have the physical right? The tightening of the belly and the movement of the air and the movement of the mouth and so on. So this is also part of our awareness. And if the 
sati runs right through all of it. No problem. That's speak the truth. So now you're invited to, in your groups of uh, three and so on, not take turns. Okay? You're just going to all enter into the moment together. You'll have six minutes. And during that time, you'll be practicing diligently with listen deeply and really exploring your listening as others speak and speak the truth. And the contemplation is really very, very simple. Um, what's it like being in this uh, breakout room on Zoom with these people meditating? Just describe how what your experience is, but before you say anything, pause. Noticing this, you know, the language in the mind, you might say something, you know, and then up it comes, perhaps you speak. And it might just be something like, well, this is awkward. Or it might be something like, oh, it's kind of interesting to be with you just in silence, though. You know, whatever you say doesn't matter because it's just true in the moment. You're meditating in this changing moment. And when you speak, it's a gift. And you can see that gift particularly well because you're giving the listeners something to listen to, right? So they can practice, listen deeply. What a generous thing you're doing. You're being courageous enough, generous enough to speak. See what I'm saying? So it's simple. No need to make a big deal of it but to really bring some diligence to listen deeply, speak the truth. Six minutes. So I'd like to draw the connection between right view and speak the truth, or shall we say between speak the truth and the whole life path. So when you bring some Dhamma teaching to the mind, it's a concept. Like I'm speaking right now, you understand what I'm saying, you have a conceptual understanding. But for the Dhamma to do its work, it has to get into your body, your heart. You have to, it has to go beneath the language into an intuitive sense of things. That's where it challenges you. That's where it awakens you. So when you speak the truth and you present something to the mind, as we'll do later, we'll have a contemplation but let's just say right now, as we're talking, what I'm presenting to the mind is, let's say, hmm, the fact of human relatedness. You know, the, the Buddha talks about spiritual friendship. He talks about Sangha. So let's bring that to mind, Sangha, spiritual friendship. And there's a person speaking now. So you're listening deeply and you're letting the words in. Ah, spiritual friendship. 
a good friend, a friend that aims the mind towards the good, that you mutually enter the path. Hmm, what is that? And the what is that, you know, it's like, you bring the language, it aims you, and then you drop the language and you touch what's behind it, what's underneath it, the sense of kind of, in this case, the flow of that's between two, two or more people, or the flow among community, like all of us now aiming our minds to understand Dhamma, to understand the path. So you sense into that flow. If you want to speak about it, these vague notions that we have in our minds have to somehow get clear enough to come back into language, right? So to speak, it's like, wow, I have to discover what I know that I don't know that I know. I have to sense into something deeper than just the quick thoughts that come up by, you know, I'm so clever, you're so clever, we could all speak forever. We know that. But to bring it from this down to this, right? Speak the truth. It's like, wow, what is that? What is true now? And as we do that, it's coming into the body and it's relationally coming, you might say, alive because I'm going to share it with you, right? So there's this flow now, there's this humanity, not just conceiving, but there's a humanity in our exploration as it drops down with Speak the Truth. So that's, a, of course, an overview. But what I'd like to get back to then and prepare for our contemplation shortly for you is this whole life path. Um, there's a number of, shall we say, approaches or tools for working with the path. One thing that's clear is that if you want to use the touch points the Buddha offered, uh, you know, right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right calm concentration or samadhi. If you want to use those touch points to say, how can this path lead me out of this intoxicated state into something that's, you know, happier, more free, more caring, more compassionate, more skillful, right? That's whatever your way of describing why you're even here today, you know, or why you meditate or why you care about the Dhamma at all, whatever that is, those eight path factors are, in order to do their work, we have to be able to access them. You know, we have to know enough of what they are. Even if it starts with conceptual knowledge, that's not a problem. We're brilliant, brilliant animals. And we need to apply that brilliance in this way. So we're not afraid of learning. We're not afraid of, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to really kind of talk into right intention. What is that? 
How do you practice it? Well, it's not obvious. It wasn't obvious to me. I had to really work for years to get any sense of what practicing right intention might look like till I realized I was kind of doing it all the time, but not so skillfully because I didn't have the, you know, the orientation and the aiming of the conceptual understanding of, oh, well, you know, you have something like uh, a Buddha image. That's a practice of right intention, right? It's, it's to guide your mind in a certain direction. I didn't know that. So how could I, how could I bring up more of that and have things in my life that would surround me with remembering? Or I didn't know that, let's say, having a dog or having a child was a practice of right intention if I knew it, you know, if I could really aim it beyond the mundane. But as soon as you know, you realize, wow. I really care what happens to my children and now my grandchildren, you know? And it's like that caring goes beyond itself. It's If it stops just with my kids and my grandkids, then it's just a projection of the ego and it's more delusion. And that's the common sort of lower lowest common denominator of family. It's good, but it doesn't go beyond itself. When we have that sense of compassion for other beings and it goes beyond just those that we, you know, kind of care about because they help stabilize our sense of self, that's still a nice start. It's much better than cruelty. But we can go, you know, there can be an expansion of that as we grow to all beings. It pulls us outside of ourselves. I didn't know that. I was a dad and I, you know, I was a caring father, but I didn't have this perspective in relationship to the path. I certainly felt it pulling me out of my selfishness, but I didn't have the sense of its context in the Noble Eightfold Path. That's what I'm talking about, right? So knowledge is helpful. You just don't want to get stuck in it, but it's, it's helpful. I would say it's crucial. And it's, by the way, this, the Buddha was really clear about this stuff. He, he was real clear that thinking and study and Dhamma learning was an important part of the path. You know, it's not just a modern, conceptual, Western, intellectual invention of Buddhism. Um, and nor... I should add right now, for those who would be skeptical about this uh, intellectual part, it does not exclude the intuitive knowledge and mystery. Because you know that you come to the edge and that you're in the ignorance of conceiving. And the Buddhist, you know, there's a beautiful quote, the tides of conceiving don't wash one away who has grounded oneself in wisdom, truth, relinquishment, and peace. And each of those four things is like the, the rest of the discourse has been unpacking what is meant by wisdom, truth, relinquishment, and peace. And when you get there, it's like, wow, conceiving doesn't wash you away. It takes you beyond that to the non-conceiving. So you see, there's no conflict. It's all part of the path. You see what I'm saying? Okay, thank you.
Um, so, um, so the question now in your contemplation is, and what path factors are awake and alive for me now? And where do I feel called to begin to uh, intentionally cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path, right? Don't worry that your knowledge of the path may be partial. Not a problem. Just do what I call this a path factor inventory, right? Just like what's the state now, you know? Uh, and if even only one path factor is all you know, like right mindfulness, stay with that. Like, how's that going? What's the status? Am I giving myself over to it? Is it developing? Is it shrinking? Is, you know, how's it working out? Um, and if that's the only path factor you know, then you could also say, well, how am I, how do I feel called to further develop it? But I'll name the path factors again and give you just like the briefest summary of each of the eight in case it triggers you in this contemplation for your inventory and your sense of inspiration. Right view, we've just spent a lot of time on. Learning, discussion, insight practice, samadhi practice, morality, those are all practices of right view as is study and, you know, remember learning and discussion. Don't, don't leave those out, but it also goes beyond. That's why insight, right? Intention, the aiming of the mind, what things in your life aim the mind specifically, I'll name the three wholesome intentions towards um, non-anger or metta, towards non-harming or compassion, and towards non, non-sensual obsession or relinquishment, renunciation, metta, karuna, and relinquishment. What aims the mind in, in, you know, your vows, your commitments, your, your, uh, your, your physical environment, your friendships? How do they aim the mind? Right speech, the morality factor, you know what that is. Not harsh, not unkind, but also true and beneficial. If it's not beneficial, you don't speak it. If it's not true, you don't speak it. Right action. This is the heart of sila. You know, non-killing, non-stealing, and so on. And the, the understanding of right action as non-killing and non-harming in your relational life and out onto society where we may cause harm through ignorance, not knowing what we're doing? How much does this circle of care extend to all beings? So it involves social action, environmental action, which is also covered in right livelihood. How do I earn my resources? Do they cause harm? Does it create or involve the development of unwholesome mind states? To do this job? Do I have to tell untruths? Do I have to be conniving, deceiving? Do I make poisons? Do I make weapons? You know, that's the classical. But it's all about the resource flow. Is my participation in the resource flow wholesome 
And that includes the resource expenditures, how I use money and so on. Right livelihood. How's it going? Right effort is the domain of psychological development. Out with the bad, in with the good. The diminishing of the unwholesome, the cultivating of the wholesome. The preventing of the arising of the unwholesome that's not arisen yet. The maintaining and increasing of what's already good in your life. When you go off on, let's say, a meditation retreat, that's an effort of both of the development of what's not yet developed, but it's also maintaining and increasing what you've already developed. Wow. Right mindfulness, we understand. The right samadhi, and not just the samadhi of deep retreat, but where in your life do you value and protect tranquility, calm, as well as deep stillness. So in your inventory, how you're living formal practices, check out your friendships. How do they support you? And do you cultivate good friends, spiritual friends, relational practices, relational communal sangha that supports you in these things? Can't do it alone. No way, no how. So how's that part of it? Think about the formal practices, the informal practices in these any of these domains, wherever you feel called. And uh, you'll have, um, in groups of three, I suppose it is mostly, so I'm going to uh, want you to have enough time all at once together. So four minutes, four minutes, four minutes. And uh, let's make that uh, uh, seven minutes. Okay. And again, the contemplation. How is the path alive for me now? Where in particular? How is it well developed or maybe needs work, and then where do you feel called to further develop the path? And your practice, rather than just speak from the conceiving mind, invite, listen deeply, so that every everything your partners say is a teaching for you. Really let it in and speak the truth. Pause what's, what's true here, you know, in this moment of meditation practice with my spiritual friends the path here and now and going forward, the Noble Eightfold Path. Listen deeply, speak the truth. It's my hope to leave you with a sense of um, possibility, you know, a sense of the aliveness of the path all the time. Now, by habit, sometimes it's the mind is going to be lost. That's part of the deal. You know, that's where the path takes place in this place that we are often deluded. Fine, we do our work. But, um, you know, anytime, Anytime you can say, how's the path now? That's all it takes. And it's alive. 
And if you have some sense of how to engage, like, okay, I think this, this week or this month, I'm going to focus a little more on right speech. It gives you something specific to think about, you know, whatever it is, could be right effort. You know, how's my energy, my engagement? Where are there unwholesome patterns that I can reduce and wholesome ones like kindness or, or giving generosity, um, compassion that I can increase mindfulness? You know, that's the, that's right effort, that energy aspect, that application. And, uh, so we can do that anytime. And one thing that is utterly essential to know is that the, the triple gem, as it were, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, we often in our meditation subculture give a lot of attention to Buddha and to Dhamma and not to Sangha. And Sangha and spiritual friendship, famously named as the entire holy life, and as essential to the arising of right view, and as the precursor of the factors of awakening, of the really, you know, profound meditative qualities, and the moral life, all of these things are uh, brought into uh, our very human reach with our very human lives with spiritual friendship. And if we think we're on this path in some kind of isolated way, alone, um, it's going to just always be, you know, uh, uh, like a slog. And if we have the support of others, we have the energy that comes when two or more are gathered. We have the other different perspectives that our friends bring to us. We have the checking out of our intentions against someone else. We have the, um, you know, the, the energy that arises when we get excited together or when we, uh, like, especially in something like a formal practice, like inside dialogue, we practice the sati together and it gets, you know, it can get very bright and that can stabilize us in any of our interpersonal contacts, not just formal practice, right? And Sangha at large, not just individual relationships, is right now, as we're speaking, providing this context. Well, it can do that anytime. You know, we can know the, the Sangha's there even when we're not with them, but we also tap into it. Gaia House is providing some degree of Sangha for people who are more intimately connected with it or who practice there regularly. And they sponsored this whole set of talks. And so they're providing a community container for this investigation of the path. Wow. How great is that? We're, we're grateful to the generosity of the people who made this possible. Like, you know, like Richard right now is a host, but behind Richard is, you know, all the people at Guy House and the board of trustees. So we're benefiting. We're riding right now on the wave of Sangha that's come before. And that as we participate in that, it lifts our hearts. That's a quality of giving when we do that. The inside dialogue community stands behind 
this very offering. You know, we have that we've had the help and support from Nancy and from Jean, you know, in this particular offering. But behind them, just as behind Richard is Guy House, are these, you know, other people who are making this possible. One of the beautiful aspects of the ordained Sangha is that it's been a carrying place of the teachings for thousands of years. That's amazing. And it didn't happen by accident, right? We are that. We are that. We can be more of that. And how beautiful, how, how really beautiful. So our path has lots of elements. It carries way beyond our personal lives, our personal habits, our personal happiness, but it does touch our personal habits, our personal lives, our personal happiness in a profound way. And as that you know moves out in that human sensitivity that we've been touching and talking about, that's kind of the the channels, you might say, the conduits, the the you know the root structures that 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 weave us together in the nourishment of of, of the path. So uh, I'd like to leave open a few moments to see if there's any observations. If you have any sense of being inspired by your path, I think it'd be nice for others to hear that as well as me. Uh, if you have any specific questions, I'm happy to be of service as I can. Please know that you can always go to insightdialogue.org for more teachings of on Insight Dialogue, but also on the whole life path. Um, and uh, just so you know, you know, um, when I recommend my book on the whole life path, that all of the royalties are given to the Insight Dialogue community. So it's not a personal gain thing at all. It's a genuine aspiration that that book be a benefit to you, that it be of support on your path. And um, I think it does a decent job of that. So you could, that's another resource for you, as well as online talks, videos, and so on. So as we close now, uh, it's a good time to reflect um, and to want to uh, uh, know, to know, to really turn towards and, and uh, give energy to this understanding that our uh, path is interwoven with all beings it, without a doubt, and there's no choice about it. That we are relational beings in a relational world. We're touching and touched by others, and we live in a social context. And all of the context of all of our relationships, personal, professional, casual, all beings. And we remain attuned to that, attuned to the suffering that is the norm in this human life, sometimes extreme, and we let ourselves be touched by that, by racism and sexism, by patriarchy. We let ourselves be touched 
by inequity, by environmental disaster. We allow that in and we let the heart respond with compassion and care. Wishing that all beings could have some perspective to know the joys of generosity, of giving. To know the joys of stopping from the delusional cycles of hurt. May all beings share in the merits of everything we've done here together. And may this path that we're living, you know, be jump this gap from the ending of our course into the whole of our lives. And may all beings benefit from this as well. May all beings, including ourselves, be free. May there be peace. May there be peace. May there be peace. Well, thank you, friends. If you'd like to unmute and say goodbye to your uh, impermanent community, you may do so.